You are listening to Break the Cycles, where we talk all things motorcycles and speak to ordinary people doing extraordinary things on two wheels. Welcome to Break the Cycle. My name is Jan. I'm Sal. And we are here joined by Dave Olenek. Is that correct? Uh, Dave has been riding on the road for 35 years. In 1984, he had a life-changing auto accident. Three years later, he got his bike license and took his first cross-country trip. He has since explored the U.S. and Canada to the Arctic Circle. Dave parked his bike for 18 years while focusing on family, but in 2018 has begun riding again with renewed passion, adding an adventure bike, and and taking courses for on- and off-road. Dave's career has involved using technology to help businesses, working with companies like Warner Brothers, Paramount Pictures, recording artists, Peter Gabriel, banks, law firms, and airport. Dave has forged and lead teams to create innovative solutions. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, Jan. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you with us. Dave, I have to start off this podcast with the first question. And the obvious is the 1984 life-changing auto accident. Can you please give us the details behind that? Yeah, sure. It was my uh, my first sports car. It was a 72 2002 BMW. Ooh, oh, wow. Yeah, baby. Nice. We're going to get along. Oh, man. <laughs> that was that was the car and uh, I had just uh, I just put new rubber on it and I was somebody had just introduced me to Summit Point Raceway. Oh and my I went gosh. up there. I didn't take the car on the track, but I went I rode in somebody else's um, 2002 with uh, the two two barrel Weber. So basically a barrel for each cylinder. Right. And my mind was blown and I was hooked and I was like, Oh man, this is amazing. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that you, you can't really drive like that on the road. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in my youth, my exuberant, ignorant youth, it was during the day I was working. I had actually, it was my first big computer job. I had gotten up very early in the morning, like three or four in the morning, gone into work early before everybody else got there, got the station set up. We were shipping a big order, doing a lot of testing and breaking down these systems. This is the first company's first big order. We wrapped up at the remote location. We're driving from Gaithersburg at the air park in Gaithersburg back to the main office in Germantown. I missed the turn and oh, uh, man. I hit another car almost head on a van. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. Nobody else was hurt. You know, they did the whole thing with the helicopter, clear, you know, that, that whole thing. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. I, I spent three months in the hospital and, uh, you know, the whole learn how to walk again kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. You know, you go from being a, a vibrant, youthful, immortal human yeah. into being, you, you. what I remember realizing was my mortality. Just, right. just coming to terms with, hey, man, I, you know, I may not turn out to be exactly the same you know you get a cut you you break even you break an arm or something like that it's it's, you're going to recover 100 Mm -hmm. well this time i was like well maybe i'm not going to be 100 you know and that was uh that was kind of shaking but basically coming to terms with my mortality and after that i i just it was like a turning point where i decided i was not going to let fear rule my life i Mm was you know in spite of this this life-changing horrible thing that happened i was not going to um uh you know live a life that's born of fear and i was going to live a full life so uh, it's just it it was inspiring and you know i changed from being a a science 
a math science uh, person, engineer at school. I switched over to radio, television, and film. Wow. Um, I started taking English courses for the first time. I wrote, really enjoyed the reading, and really got into it and decided I was going to have a, a different life and just explore an adventure. So, Wow, that's a really drastic wow. change just from an auto accident. It was a big auto accident. It was a big accident. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, how old were you at the time? 20. Oh, my 20, gosh. 20, no, 21. I think it was 21. 21 yeah. and yeah. rocking so, at BMW 2002. Bro, he was killing it, man. Yeah, it was, it was, I was, yeah, I was in heaven. I was, <laughs> yeah, for, for the listeners that know, do not know, and the, and the young, youngins, 2002 is, to, is the model of the BMW in the 80s. It's not actually the year of the, of the car. Right, right. <laughs> Have to clarify. Right. Yes, very much so. So three years after that big thing, you decided, oh, you know, I survived this huge motor accident. I'm going to go buy a motorcycle now. <laughs> right across the country that's a logical uh progression <laughs> it was in your face fear i'd taken a couple of sailplane lessons and was looking for something expanding out doing just trying to find stuff that outside of my comfort zone and my safety and i had no idea what i was getting into with motorcycling i mean there's one aspect is obviously controlling the motorcycle and being technically adept at that and that's yep. i i love that for my car you know i I was, you get into that kind of Zen mode where, you know, if you want to, if you want to think about things and be conscious and then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be ever be a hundred percent. You got to put your mind to sleep and feel the road, feel the car um, and do things out of reaction, uh, muscle memory, so to speak. Right. Steal a phrase from Yermo. And I, that's, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it was everything else. I mean, it was the, the physical nature of it probably took me about two or three years just to get used to not leaving stuff sitting on my bike and riding away, you know, Oh, where's my wallet? You know, <laughs> you know, and when I put my glasses away and where's my, and when the phones came along in, in 10 or 15 years, where's my phone? So, but, and then of course, you know, the comfort level and the, the safety, you know, we're riding and we're trying to find a place to stay and you know, all, all that whole thing. So, that, yeah, I was just pushing pushing the barrier back and trying to find something that um, I, I'd never experienced before and learn something new. So that's basically what it's about. And Yermo encouraged that. And, um, of course, he did the basic stuff with me, took me out and ran around the parking lot and stuff like that. But then also I, he said, I said, let's go on a cross-country trip. And he was like, yeah, OK, let's go. And I was, I was, you know, I was like, quit your dad's job, quit that job. And I'll take a couple of weeks off and we'll just go ride. And so we started um, headed west. You know, we were going to go to um, New Orleans and it was bleeding hot. It was June. I think it was June. Oh, middle of and summer. And it was just so hot. And we looked at each other was like, I don't want to go in the New Orleans. Let's go to Colorado instead. Okay, let's go. So we started headed west up on the north route. Yep. The second day out, we were going through St. Louis. It was a beautiful morning. There was road construction. It was about, I remember it was like a 45 mile an hour road construction zone. Traffic wasn't bad. I was in front. Yermo was behind me on his V65 Saber. Uh, is that a Yamaha? Um, it's a Honda. Oh. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rocket sled bike. And he had it decked out with this big aftermarket fairing. It was wacky, very wacky. But it was, it was I was riding an R65, a 1977 mm-hmm. R65. Good choice. 
Very classic. You know, oh, I got more compliments than I've ever had. Any vehicle I've ever had because it's just so classic and so black, you know. And, um, so anyway, I was I was out ahead about you know probably a hundred yards or so, and we were going through this construction zone, and you could see the arch of St. Louis, and we're coming up on the river, and all of a sudden the gas tank was in my face, and I was back and falling sliding across the pavement. And what had happened was I had hit a um, a piece of metal. It was about probably twelve or fifteen inches long. It was angle iron, I remember. It was heavy-duty metal. You know, could have oh, probably geez. something fell off the construction. But it had popped up and wedged into the oil pan, right in the oh, center man. of the oil pan, one end of the, of the engine. And it, the oil pan, where the, the engine stopped, the block stopped and the oil pan started, it was bent like in a small angle. And oil was spraying out. The engine had lifted up in the uh, – there were crash bars on it. And it had, the engine had lifted up. It moved the crash bar, slid it a couple inches. Um, the bike, you know, other than that, was was pretty much okay. So I was, of course, full leathers, leather jacket, helmet. Uh, popped back up. Yermo was freaking out, you know. And um, we got the bike. We were about a mile or two from the um, the BMW dealer in East, East St. Louis. It was called oh. uh, BMW Motorada. It's not. And the dealership had. A, it was like a very small, very old dealer. And they had uh, a bunch of bikes, but they were the sole importer of Ural sidecars for the United States. Huh. So they had all these crates with these Ural sidecars stacked up in, in the yard. And then they had a little house next door to the, um, to the dealership in the bike lot. And the little house, they, it would have, they had all these wacky old bikes in them. And they, they were like, oh, man, come on in, have a shower. The beer, wow. the, there's beer in the fridge. Just relax. We'll take a look at your bike. Wow. And so they did, and they tried to fix it. They couldn't, to my satisfaction. <laughs> they happened to have a, a K1, a, a 1988 K100 RS, you know, fuel injected, water cooled, totally different animal that I fell in love with on the lot while we were sitting around. And I said, they said, oh, great, buy this. You got to, you got to finish the trip. And I said, well, I got to take my bags and get on a bus and go back home. What, you know, I don't know what world you're living in, you know? So <laughs> I was mistaken by this, by crashing, you know? So um, we, as all good decisions are made, Yermo and I went out for drinks and, um, you know, we, we tipped a few and Yermo is making the argument of, you know, get back on the bike, buy this new bike and we'll finish the trip out. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't, I wasn't doing crazy things and I, I easily could have died. You know, it was, I'm, I'm not sure I want to get back on again. And coming towards the end of the night, Yermo turned to me and said, um, you know, if you don't get back on now, you'll never get back on again. And I went, yeah, that's that's right. OK, yeah, here we yeah. go. Let's go. So the next day we we left there and rode um, to Denver where I had the like uh, 600 mile service done. And then we spent the next several days riding around Colorado on my new bike, going through mountain passes and sleeping outdoors at 12,000 feet and wow. man, just, you know, just had a blast. What a dream, man. It was a commitment. It's kind of ignorant. too. You got to be careful around Yermo now. It might, uh, might spontaneously might be buying a uh, BMW motorcycles all of a sudden. Yeah. He, he's a, he's a good and a bad influence. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, uh, that was the U S you went towards Canada and the Arctic circle. Yeah. 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 So, um, after that, I came 
I came back. Uh, Yermo continued to trip out to Oregon, I think, to visit a girl. Yeah. And so I came back and then uh, wrapped up the project that I was working on. It was my first professional gig um, as a software producer at the time. And I wrapped that gig up. I headed to California and I moved to, um, I lived in San Diego and I lived in LA and I lived in San Francisco, San Diego or LA and San Francisco at the same time I was commuting back and forth. I was running projects at, in LA and in San Francisco. And, um, but when I moved to San Diego, the guys from back here, including Yermo were planning this, this uh, trip to Alaska. Ooh. And I said, well, do, you know, come on out hang out in San Diego for a couple of days and then we'll ride from San Diego and we'll go to Alaska. So that's pretty much what we did. We, um, they came out, they rode, uh, had a horrible trip across Texas and you know, they, I think they went at night because it was so bloody hot and, uh, they showed up at my place and we, we backed it up and we rode to, uh, Yermo was not well. One of the other guys on the trip had, uh, just bought a new, uh, to, new to him. It was a used gold wing. So the other guy on the trip had a VFR 750. So we are all street bikes, you know. And uh, so Yermo had caught a cold just before they started to come. And he wasn't, I mean, it was kind of dangerous. And so after a couple of days of riding, he decided to convalesce. In a, took, they took a hotel and one of the, the guy with the gold wing uh, stayed with him so he could get some rest. Uh, the other guy was on a tight schedule to get back for work. So we blasted, we, we jumped and we, we jumped onto the Alcan and then rode the Alcan up through Canada, all the way to um, Fairbanks and then up to the Arctic circle, you know, for coffee and then turned around and came back. Wow. Yeah. That's that section of the, uh, the Canadian is a uh, highway is uh, quite long. And it was jammed. That was the, that was the 50th anniversary year of the building of the Alaska Canada highway. So it was jammed with 10,000. I'm sure that always is every year, but man, every motorhome in Winnebago in North America seemed to be on that road. It was just, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, it was very long. I wish that I had known how, because I'm used to getting up when the, when, it, when the sun comes up. It just, I just can't sleep. Mm -hmm. When you get up north that far, the sun comes up at like three o'clock in the morning. So I'm oh, like, wow. I'm waking up in my tent and I'm starting to pack up and then I'm looking, I'm like, Oh man, it's like three 30. What are we going to do? Oh, well, we're going we're gonna to ride. <laughs> <laughs> I know the, the further up you go and then you hit a certain time, like the, the sun feels like it never sets. It's like, all, it's like on the whole time. And then you, your bio clock completely gets messed up. I remember uh, sitting at the Arctic circle. We can't right at the, the circle. Oh, wow. It just the sun didn't set. We were we were there. I don't think we were in, in late May. It was real close to solstice, early June maybe it was. It was just surreal, but it worked out. You see, I would think like me sitting in my chair over here, especially in the wintertime when it gets dark at like five. I'm like, man, I would love for it to be sunny all day. You can always be outside, always riding. But I'm sure like once you get up there, and like you guys have said, it messes with your bio clock. It's like dude, this is unnatural. Like there has to be some sort of a, a balance. My thought was, boy, this must really suck in the wintertime. <laughs> we were there, we were in Fairbanks for the, uh, the Midnight Sun 10K where they had, it's a foot race. People come out dressed. I remember they were like people dressed as cows. 
it's kind of a spectacle, but they run a 10K and it starts at, at midnight. It's actually right about like it is now. The sun's just about setting at, at midnight. Very, very bizarre, but but it's a bizarre place, you know? Wow. And then you say you parked your bike for 18 years, like soon after that, or? I got married. Well, no, I, that was in about 92, what, 91 or 92, something like that. And uh, I left California and I came back to DC to, uh, I had an opportunity to make games. And I had done all this, this really wonderful stuff out on the West Coast, but the opportunity to make games brought me back. And so I came back for that and I met my wife and uh, we had uh, kids. My, my kids were born probably 10 years, exactly 10 years after that trip to Alaska. So they were born in 2001. So, you know, my wife says, uh, well, now that we have kids, you, you know, you, you can't have the motorcycle. You're, you got to get rid of the motorcycle. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Completely. Yeah, I understand. And then I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> what am I thinking? Like, it's like if I could take that bike and put it in a glass case and put it in the living room, that's exactly what I would have done. But I, I couldn't do that. So I just put it in the garage and I rode it, you know, a couple of times a year and just kind of, I, I paid, I kept the plates on it and kept insurance up, but I didn't, I didn't essentially didn't do anything. I mean, the only thing I did after, after Alaska, I took, um, I took a class up at Loudon, New Hampshire. It was that uh, Reg Pridmore's class out on the track that was very interesting. Uh, and then from there, I rode up to, um, Nova Scotia. It didn't do Newfoundland, but did the Nova Scotia tour, all cruised all around the island, took the ferry across from Bar Harbor. Um, and then I and I did probably did a couple other trips, but nothing monumental. It was for me, it was parking. It was I was still riding a little bit during the year, but it was essentially parked, you know. Even though I had been riding consistently from when I started in 87 to, to 2001. I, I was I was the classic example of the person who rides, you know, 15 years, one year at a time. It's like every season that came back up, I wasn't doing consistent training. I wasn't studying it. I was just getting on the bike. And the biggest thing I was worried about was probably my comfort in camping gear and, and, and you know, trying to find riding gear that was not too hot during the summertime and, and not too cold during the wintertime. I wasn't really focused on my skills and controlling the bike and and doing that. So, you know, parking the bike for 18 years was a good thing in that when I came back to it with renewed vigor, you know, again, and also, you know, re reconnected with Yermo. Yermo was really into total control and doing classes and stuff. And I said, that's a really great idea. Let's, let's go for that. So I, I bought total control. And the other thing was too, you know, 18 years later, what do you know? Both of my sons bought motorcycles. Wow. And so now I'm dealing with with getting them through MSF and teaching them and going, you never ride without your helmet or your gloves, you know, or, and a jacket. And you, this is what we're going to do. And that's how it's going to be, you know? So I, I was reliving my, my rebirth through them, which was wonderful. And also working on the bikes. We bought some projects, bikes. My, my, my one son had a, uh, an, an opportunity to do an engineering uh, self-guided study while he was in high school as a as an engineering project and he chose we had a friend that donated a um 
1995 KLR 650 mm. that was, had been sitting for years and was not running. And our friend had ridden that bike to Alaska wow. uh, right around the same time that I rode to Alaska. So it was a very meaningful thing. So for him, to, I knew what it meant for him to give the bike that he rode to Alaska, the KLR, to my son. So yeah. my son took it. We, we put it in a pickup truck. I took it down to his school and dropped it off. And then I, I went back. He was at a boarding school. And I, I left him. And I was at the time, I was working uh, remotely down in, uh, in Dallas. And I said, you know, so how's the bike going? And he sends me pictures. And he's taken the entire thing apart. He's pulled the wiring harness off the motorcycle. He's, you know, and I'm like, oh. And my first thought is, oh, no. Ah, ah. And my, my, my voice said, Oh, that's great. Way to go. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. You know, good job. Did you take any pictures of how stuff goes? You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, six months later, uh, constantly on zoom calls with him. And, and basically I bas I didn't do much, but I just said, don't be afraid to break it and just keep going. And I, yeah. I can't give you, I, I, I can give you advice and I'm buying tools on Amazon and sending it to him. But uh, at the end of the, you know, when he sent me the video of him turning the, um, hitting the ignition switch and going broom and the engine starting back up and he was so happy. I was like, yes, this is, there this you is go. priceless. Planted the seed. Yeah, it was wonderful. That's how you're supposed to build bikes. You, you, you take them all apart to the, to the frame and then you, you know, you weld the reinforcements and you put it back together. Yeah. I wish I had known you when he was undertaking this, this, uh, this venture, it would have been, uh. You would have been a, a, a great mentor for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The 18 years, you know, when I come back to it, the other thing into the, into the, um, the, the formula was adding an adventure bike, you know, cause mm. of course, you know, I'm talking to Yermo and Yermo's like, yeah, I did the, the Transamerica trail on, on the DR650, the best motorcycle ever known to man. I'm like, really? DR650, huh? That sounds intriguing. Remember? So I came back and I rode his, and I was just absolutely blown away. And I, I, I had owned in the in my uh, bachelor life, I had owned Jeeps, and had done four wheeling stuff. And it, what all this, what I, you know, I do a lot of thinking about what motivates me in all these ventures, and in everything, it, my career and in life in general. And it's I'm I'm constantly feeding my sense of wonder, and that when you're riding, even the K100, even though I rode it on the gravel to Alaska, if I was riding out in the countryside and I got to a gravel road and it looked kind of gnarly, I would turn around and come back, you know? Yep. And the DR just, of course you don't. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, when I say the DR to me is the Jeep of motorcycles. And when I say Jeep, I don't mean, you know, the Grand Cherokee or the, the, uh, you know, the, the mom SUV. I mean the real, the CJ5 and the CJ7 that I had from the seventies that just would i would you know i i wasn't a rock hopper or anything but i was like oh, i wonder what's up there let's go blasting through the woods and stuff like that being a real terror that so that's what the dr represents to me is like hey what's over there and not not just can we get there but what's what's what, what are we going to find over that next trail or hill or whatever that is so that opened up a whole new thing for me and also a great learning opportunity because i don't I know nothing about riding off road. It was just a couple of years ago on Memorial Day weekend. I went on my first gravel road. I was with Yermo and, and, uh, and the guys 
uh, we ran up to the Frederick watershed and just checked it out. And so I, you know, I remember we were on the intercom and I was going, Hey, what should I be doing here? And they're like, Oh, just go with it. You know, just <laughs> maybe stand it up. Well, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know if you feel like it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Solid instruction. I think riding off road is really the embodiment of actually riding motorcycles. Riding motorcycles is about the freedom, right? Well, riding off road is literally the most freedom you could ask for versus riding on the road. You know, it's harrowing. It's more, it's more physically involving, but the reward is always there, right? Um, on the street, you can go up and down I-70 and call that a ride, but off road, if you're going through the watershed, if you're doing a 12,000, you know, uh, foot elevation climb, that is far more demanding. And like, there's a freedom to that, that, you know, I-70 doesn't give you. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I, what I started to say was I just got back from a trip uh, a couple months ago in the Smoky Mountains. You know, COVID was a blessing and a curse. Um, obviously, the curse is, is obvious, but the blessing was motorcycling. You know, at first, everybody was, you know, uh, I, I was very concerned. I said, don't want, we don't want to add to the, the hospital load and put another person in ICU by having a motorcycle accident. But on the other hand, I was like, the odds are pretty low. It's it's this is something I can en engage in and get out and ride and not be at risk. It, it's it was a degree of normalcy, right? It was it, you didn't have to worry about did I have my mask? Am I am looking at people like they're infected? You know, you just ride, man. It's just like you, you do. It, it was exactly the same before COVID. It was exactly the same in COVID. And I wound up meeting all these incredible people, riders. Get in touch, show up. Don't you? You're not breaking the uh, the barrier the distance or anything like that. And you just go out and ride. Mm -hmm. I just, I had a wonderful, wonderful year. So one of the guys that I met uh, calls me in like February or March and says, Hey, you want to go do the Smoky mountain 500? And I was like, yes, I have no idea what that is, but yes, I want to go do that. <laughs> so um, the, the, we go along and you know, the, the whole trip is planned for us uh, each night, a different place to stay in motorcycle campgrounds, and the smoke, I don't know if you've ever been down to the Smoky Mountains. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It's a, a natural resource of motorcycle roads, like, like nothing I've ever experienced. It's just, you know, it's like a, a, a mine of, 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 a, of experience and adventures, possibilities are down there. It's really nice. So everything was all set. About a week before the trip, you know, I start going, well, what is this Smoky Mountain 500 trail thing? I start watching <laughs> YouTube videos and I'm like, Joe, what the heck? What have I got myself into? Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my DR. So <laughs> we, we get down there and the first day was, I think it was the hardest day from where we start. We chose to start on the trail and uh, it was this little hot, not too hot, but I had, I didn't, my water bladder wasn't with me. I wasn't drinking enough water. We went, um, I remember on my GPS, we went from 2,000 feet in elevation to almost 5,000 feet on a climb. Wow! Uh, slowly, you know. But but again, those were trying roads, switchbacks, tons of gravel, tons of rocks, and really tried my skill. And it was beautiful. It was absolute. The reward was incredible. You know, I dropped it twice in water crossings, and oh, that was kind of refreshing. Actually, you know, answered the question. <laughs> what, what what happens when your boots get filled with water. Well, 
actually it's not the end of the world it's just it's just fine you know so <laughs> in the summer in the summer it's fine exactly exactly you know any, anything below 50 degrees and i'm you know i'm oh, you know, i'm i'm headed to the nearest mcdonald's to go hide out in the bathroom and dry my hair you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a hotel night if you ask me yeah yep yeah and- big time big time so yeah so that um yeah, I'm totally with you on the adventure thing. It's it is a whole different thing. It's it's it, it's great too because it's a whole different set of skills and a whole different set of it's like a, a completely different separate hobby. The other thing I like about it is uh, you know for my street bike, the street bike has multiple ECUs, ABS, traction control, and the DR is just the stupidest thing ever. And I love it, love it to death because of the, right, you know, you're like, yeah. There's, there's nothing here that I can't test, take apart, or fix mostly with like JB Weld in a in a Coke can, you know. <laughs> and like, I I love that about it too. And I, I get that you know having that that simplicity of engineering of the of the machine gives me a lot of confidence as well. It, it you know as opposed to my other bike, which I feel like I hope I I can get to a BMW dealer if I if I do something if something fails and. You know, it will. So, yeah, that's that's the conversation I have with Yun as well. It's like, uh, like it's it's nice because I think dual sports are just easier to service. Everything is there, but the brand uh, also still plays a huge factor. Like the DR, like you said, it's like a Honda Civic of motorcycles. You can find anything anywhere, or you can just jerry rig it. But even my uh, my Husqvarna, I'm having troubles just finding things off eBay, and that's my barometer of availability of parts. Otherwise, it's being made by some Italian guy in like Sicily over his like lasagna break, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge, and those things are definitely a challenge. So, any uh, any big trips you plan coming up? I know you just did one in the Smokies. Yeah, no, um, no, but I'm I'm really itchy. I don't know what's going to happen. I I tend to be finding your tribe when you're looking for other motorcyclists is, is not just about, it, it, it has nothing to, well, it's some of it has to do with skill level, but mostly it's trying to find that mindset, right? You're looking, mm-hmm. you know, people, there's people that like to plan every stop and every go right. visit this thing. That's not me, man. I'm like, which way are we going North? Okay. Let's go that way. You know? And, yeah. And that's part of the magic is that, you know, when, when you get there and something's magical waiting for you, I feel like really like I, I I'm rewarded for taking the chance so um no i you know we wanted to go to canada it looks like canada is not going to open back up a bunch of guys i've been so in the in the covid year i met one guy at a bikes and breakfast and he knew another we were out on a ride and three other guys rode up and were like hey where are you going and they're like uh i don't know we're going for a ride i'm like okay let's can we go yeah sure let's go so now we got five of us then they know a couple other guys and they know a couple other guys and now we're at about 15 or 18 guys that it's pretty much, and we, I said we need a name, so we came up with uh, 3D Moto, which is the Dennis. I can't, I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong. Something uh, dangerous denizens of dirt, um, because we're not dangerous and we're not denizens, and it's not really dirt; it's really gravel. But they mostly <laughs> ride GSs. Um, Steve, who was on the podcast, rides a, um, a Multistrada Ducati. Oh, nice. These guys all, they all have the same, we have, we're cut from the same cloth. 
as my friend Bill May would say, we're all nut jobs, you know? <laughs> so anyhow, they, a bunch of guys that just did the BMW rally in Montana. Uh, one of our guys is actually 79 years old and he still rides his GS and he, he rode it out to Montana. And I think even now he's probably still on the road somewhere in the Midwest headed wow. back this way. And he's just a, you know, a gentle, very kind soul who goes in open eyed, but it's 79, man, he is cooking like gas, man. I hope, I hope I can keep it going for that much longer. I just, it's, it's the dream. Absolutely. The dream. Wow. Yeah. Props to him, man. I know. Right. I see a lot of uh, people when I go down to uh, different places there, there's a lot of, a lot of older people that are still on the road. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. And when I was down in um, Argentina, there was a lot of like old couples that are, that are doing like round the world trips, like wow. in their seventies, wow, eighties, and I was just so impressed. Wow, hashtag goals. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, they, they did a, <laughs> honestly, they did a great job in the in the late fifty or the sixties, starting with Honda, I think, to plant the the dream of of motorcycle freedom and all the positive aspects of motorcycling. One of my biggest mentors in life was my uncle uh, Roy. And he was a anesthesiologist, a doctor. He was a naval officer and a pianist. He, um, he was very, very passionate about playing piano. And he bugged out. He grew up in a small coal town in Pennsylvania. And after he got his medical degree, he bugged out for California because that was the dream, right? We're talking like 1965. He served in the Navy on a, on a ship in the Navy during the Vietnam War. Wow. And then he got out and he, he, he lived in California. And then there was one day I was in the, um, I was in my first professional gig. It was right around the time that I was talking to Irma about getting a motorcycle. And I remember I was in a, a video studio and I, I, I talked to my uncle Roy and he said, David, you got to come to California. And I said, really? Uncle Roy, why? He says, there's so much opportunity here. You can't believe it. And if you ever tell your mother, I said this, I will deny it vehemently. So I, it, you know, I, at the time I, I went, I went home and I said, mom, I'm going to California. Got to go, man. You know, Uncle Roy said so. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I went. So I wound up, you know, going to California. And um, Uncle Roy had eight motorcycles, all Hondas. Oh, man. And about, about as many cars. You know, he, he had a, a beautiful piece of property in, in, uh, in the hills outside of Silicon Valley. Just lived an idyllic life. And as a, any Gord mentor does, he doesn't just tell, he shows, yeah. you know. And he showed me how to live a full life. It was amazing. Yeah. So that, you know, eight, eight motorcycles, all Hondas from, he had a, his, one of his favorites was a Honda 125. It was this little yellow, just like probably early seventies bike, but that whole, you meet the nicest people on a Honda ad campaign and that whole motorcycle industry, the burgeoning Japanese motorcycle industry in the sixties and, and early seventies really planted the seed amongst that, that generation, I think. And so the people now that's their, that's their, that's the early memories like me, man, my early memories, you know, were like with that and the mini bikes and the whole thing. So we are benefiting from that legacy that was planted 50 years ago, you know, in the minds of the, the marketing campaigns. And I think I, that's what I believe. Anyhow. It sounds like I could have had a, an uncle Roy in my life. I just have old Pakistani dudes that always, 
say, Salman, go for your master's degree. I'm like, dude, that's not a fulfilling life. That sounds like slavery to me. You know what I'm saying? I thought they were telling you to get married. That too. I'm like, yo, I got some time, bro. I got to ride my bikes. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Well, all that, you know, all that, all that personal life stuff, um, I, I certainly have no regrets. I, you know, I remember thinking to myself in my twenties and thirties, I, all I did was work really hard for other people, you know, hmm. and I had a great time doing it. And I, you know, I, I, I got to do a lot of very interesting things, but at the end of the day, it was all commerce driven. And I thought, you know, this is the, like building my family. And when I got married, I said, that was the best decision I ever made in my life. And then doing the family was the best job I ever had in my life. It was without a doubt, the most rewarding and hard too. I mean, it was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing project and it's, it is so hard, but it's also so totally fulfilling, especially when your son says, you know, Hey, I'm going to get another, another motorcycle. (laughs) And you're like, Yes, you get it. Oh man, my daughter—I don't leave my daughter out. She just took the um, the DC Dirt School class with BJ Hessler uh, okay. about a month ago. She's she's coming along too. We'll see what happens with that. I don't know. You're bringing up right. I'm kind of curious. I mean, you had those two big trips before you got married. Then it was just an 18 year like abstinence of riding motorcycles. Do you think having gone through there's trips to those experiences like had you not gone through them do you think you would have been like a little less satisfied in your decision to not ride motorcycles you know at the time i i wish i could say that i would would feel that way it was i i don't it was that wasn't part of my calculus for uh the decision to park the bike right it should have been but it was just on to the next thing you know right okay Actually, you know, but, you know, in some ways, you know, when I look back on it now, I think you're absolutely right. It, it gave me um, having those adventures under my belt. It gave me the confidence to say, OK, you know, not not been there, done that. But it gave me the confidence to say, yeah, I, I, I know some of the possibilities and mm-hmm. I know the, the serendipity that happens on the road, the, the amazing joys and I also know some of the hardships and there, there will be more and I'll find them again when the time comes. And so on ever gone, the time has come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly sounds like it. Thanks guys for listening to this episode of break the cycles. If you liked what you heard, smash that subscribe button and stay tuned in for the next episode.